Listener Production. You're already in a situation where you are feeling completely hopeless. So the fact that the cost has gone up, it doesn't change how you're feeling. You're just going further and further backwards. So that's Melita Rowe. She's a single mum on a carer's allowance. She's coming up a little later in the show to talk about how the cost of living is impacting her family. There are more than 3.2 million Australians now living below the poverty line. That means they're living on half the median income, and that's around half of about $51,000 a year. It's so important to understand the level of mental anguish that can come to you when you are worrying every single day. So that worry is part of our briefing topic today with Jan Fran, who's going to look at how the cost of living will impact those who are already doing it tough and what the major parties are doing or not doing about it. It is Tuesday, April 19. I'm Katrina Blowers, joined by Annika Smithhurst. Let's get into the headlines. There's been a major escalation in the war in Ukraine, with a barrage of Russian missiles hitting the country. Moscow claims to have attacked 315 targets. It's believed to be setting up a major military push to conquer the eastern Donbass region. Four of those missiles have smashed into the city of Lviv, which has been largely unscathed in the fighting so far because it's so close to the Polish border. Now at least seven people were killed in that attack, with three of the rockets hitting military infrastructure. While in the southern city of Mariupol, Ukrainian forces have vowed to fight to the end after a Russian ultimatum expired for the remaining troops there to surrender. In Russia, President Vladimir Putin has said the West has scored an own goal by imposing sanctions on Russia. We can already confidently say that such a policy towards Russia has failed. The strategy of economic blitzkrieg has failed. The sanctions had an effect on the initiators themselves. So he says inflation has actually stabilised and retail spending has normalised in Russia. But I guess, Annika, no one can really tell or fact-check that. So, uh, yes, it's difficult to know whether what Putin is saying is actually true. Missteps and mistakes are continuing in the second week of the election campaign. The Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, now having to address getting the job seeker rate wrong. Oh, I misspoke. It was pretty straightforward. He'd earlier been asked about cost of living pressures and, in answering, talked about his government's increase to the job seeker payment. Which, as you know, we, we increased from 40 bucks uh, a week to 46 bucks a week um, since the last election. Now, the rate is actually $46 a day, not a week. So, last week, Anthony Albanese was hauled over the coals for not knowing the unemployment rate or the cash rate. Scott Morrison has been in Western Australia announcing $124 million for more patrol boats and has continued to blast Labor over its border policy. When Labor abolished temporary protection visas in 2008, the armada of people smugglers' boats came to Australia. So to give you some context there, this comes after Anthony Albanese's latest gaffe where he said Labor supported temporary protection visas. They actually don't. Annika, do you think this is getting cut through or do you think people are just like, oh, for heaven's sakes, get on with it. Just stop nitpicking around the sides. What do you reckon? Look, I think it does uh, have an effect and we've seen in some polling over the weekend that it actually has hurt Labor in those initial gaffes. Now, 
everybody's entitled to make mistakes. That's true. And we saw the Prime Minister's done it and Anthony Albanese's done it again. But on day one to know some of those key economic markers, mm. um, it was interesting for me. I've usually been on the campaign and I'm not at the moment. I'm on maternity leave. And I'm hanging out with people that vote, that don't follow politicians every day. And it is being talked about in coffee shops. It was being talked about at my mum's group. So it's interesting what gets through and what doesn't. Look, I think it might nullify it a little bit if everybody continues to make mistakes. So <laughs> Alvo was first sort of cab off the rank. But uh, should the Prime Minister continue to misspeak and, and another um, mistake there by Anthony where he had to clarify, maybe nobody will care if they do it every day. It could actually oh. help them if they continue to make mistakes. Oh, goodness. Well, meanwhile, Labor is on the offensive, continuing to ramp up a scare campaign over the next health minister. Medicare is not safe under Scott Morrison and Anne Ruston. That's Shadow Treasurer Jim Chalmers there. Now, Anne Ruston, who will replace Greg Hunt in the role of Health Minister, should the coalition win, is the current Families and Social Services Minister. And she made comments in 2015 saying Medicare in its current form is not sustainable. So that's what Labor are referring to there. Controversial Warringah LNP candidate Catherine Deeves says she's not going anywhere, even though she's come under fire over her stance on transgender children and LGBTQ issues. Yeah, Deves broke her silence in an email overnight saying, My opponents, part of the left media and Twitter sphere, have been unrelenting in calling for me to be disendorsed. I have been bullied in the most vile way and received death threats. So she's running for office in the Sydney electorate, which was held by the former PM, Tony Abbott, and he lost that to Zali Stegall back in 2019. And Deves was what they call a captain's pick by Scott Morrison. But ever since then, it's caused a whole lot of upheaval in the party. Minister for Women and Foreign Affairs Minister, also a moderate within the party, Maurice Payne, notably refused to endorse Deves on Sunday, while North Sydney member Trent Zimmerman has called for her to be dumped. Now, what's playing out here is a lot of factional stuff within the New South Wales party, but I just don't know how it's going to go away, uh, especially if these uh, mm. old posts continue to be leaked. The Defence Minister has admitted voters won't actually know the cost of a bungled submarine deal until after the election. There are commercially sensitive uh, negotiations that are going on with the companies at the moment. So not going to prejudice that about uh, what money's in, in what pool. Mm, the old commercially sensitive. <laughs> Peter Dutton there, he's admitted negotiations with France are still underway and an outcome isn't expected until at least July, conveniently after the election. <laughs> but we do know dropping our end of the bargain could cost as much as $5.5 billion, which has already been put aside. It's after the federal government dropped the deal with France in favour of a deal with the UK and the US. An 18-month study set to help decide on whether Australia will buy the US and UK submarines is not due to finish until March next year. And speaking of watercraft of a very different kind, cruising is back. The first cruise ship to arrive in Australia since the COVID-19 pandemic began has docked in Sydney. Pacific Explorer, Pacific Explorer, Sydney Beach, yes. We would like to welcome you back to Australian waters. There are passionate people, those cruisers. Now, it's the first time a ship has been welcomed into Sydney Harbour since the infamous Ruby Princess debacle back in March 2020. That led to Australia's first major COVID cluster 
and 28 deaths. Yeah, so Australia, I guess, um, it's been 23 months since uh, people have been allowed to go cruising in Australia and we're a little bit behind the rest of the world on that front. Cruising has already restarted in 86 countries and carried more than 10 million passengers. If you're feeling a little bit worried about it, the industry has promised it will have absolutely stringent hygiene on board. To even get on board, you're going to need to be double vaxxed if you're over the age of 12 and you need to have returned a negative test before you step foot on that ship. My mum, for one, is very, very excited. (laughs) She's a passionate cruiser. (laughs) All right, coming up next, Jan Fran is going to take a deep dive into the cost of living. Hi, it's Jan Fran here. The rising cost of living is probably something that you've heard about, if not felt yourself, whether it be when buying groceries or filling up petrol or renting a house. We're all impacted by it in some way, but there will be some who will feel the pinch more than others, namely those who are already doing it tough. You heard from Melita Rose at the top of the show. She's a single mum of two. Melita joins us now. Melita, Talk us through your family circumstances and what sort of income you're getting and and where it's going. So my uh, two sons are eight and ten. My eldest son, Lockie, has autism. Our circumstances are that I'm on the carers payment and a little bit of family tax benefit. And the majority of that money goes, uh, obviously, to, you know, the cost of living with housing and um, so on and so forth. I need to get him to therapy appointments multiple times during the week. So a lot of money is being spent on fuel and taking time off to be able to do that for him. It is really hard. Um, we're looking. And is at, the carer's allowance the only sort of income that comes in for you? Yes, that's right. And how much is it, a week or a fortnight? So you're looking at uh, $840 a fortnight for that. And then you're looking at around $600 a fortnight on top of that as well. So not very much. And if you're looking at the cost of rent, that ours just went up $30 a week as well. Um, I mean, rent for us is around 430 a week. So yeah, there's not a lot left over. Yeah. And have you noticed that running the household is costing more than what it was, say, 12 or six months ago? Oh, absolutely. But the, the situation is, is that you're already in a situation where you are feeling completely hopeless. So the fact that the cost has gone up, it doesn't change how you're feeling. You still felt like that before the cost of living went up. Now it's just a situation where you're maybe two or three weeks behind in paying bills rather than a week behind. And so you're just going further and further backwards. So the fact that petrol has gone up to what it's gone up, it just means that you have to miss out on something else. So maybe getting the car serviced or, you know, an excursion, you have to call the school to see if you can go into a payment arrangement to pay the school. And it might only be $20, but when you've got both children at school and they're both going, that $40 that essentially that you would have been able to pay, you can't pay. I guess you're in a situation where broke is broke. So being even more broke, it doesn't make any difference. It just means that you don't get to do things and you have to pay like for months in advance before you are able to do them. Are you worried about this? Does it sort of keep you up at night? What's the biggest stressor for you? There's no ability to change the situation at all. For a lot of single parents, you're kind of sitting there going, well, you know, I can't lose any more money. Um, It's just a case of trying to get through and hopefully something will change. But at this stage, you know, we're looking at... um, you know, letting go of of the car. 
that's going to really make it difficult for me with employment or picking up or dropping off the kids, cutting back on therapy appointments because we don't have the fuel to be able to get there. And that, that shouldn't be the case. I, I don't understand why people are finding this so hard or the political parties are finding this so difficult to actually understand that 80% of single parents are mums and there is no ability for us to be able to get jobs when we're caring for children. And no one has addressed that at all. So the circumstances are going to stay as they are. And while these mums are at home or these parents are at home, single parents are at home, there's no ability to be earning any superannuation or have any leave entitlements or, or anything like that. So I've yet to see anybody actually address this. What would you want the major parties to do? What's one thing they could do tomorrow that would really help you and your family out? Well, what, what I find really funny is that um, the Labor Party at the moment, I don't know if the ads are the same over your way, but Albanese is going on about how he was raised by a single mum and and all that kind of thing. And it, it kind of makes me laugh because he, of all people, should know the struggles that single parents, single mums face. And what I would say is that there needs to be a change in the way that employers look at single parents. We all desperately want to work. It's not just about the extra money. We want the ability to be able to apply for car loans or home loans. Something that they absolutely could do is offer incentives to employers to do timeshare or job share with single parents or for hiring a certain amount of single parents to give them a financial incentive to do that. At the moment, you know, you're looking at People that have got kids that need to go to and from school, um, have therapy appointments. I mean, you're looking at kids having 12 weeks of holidays a year and parents being mm. allocated four weeks a year. It doesn't make any sense. So absolutely, I'd say there's, there's a lot more that they can do. But first and foremost, they need to address the situation. Nobody has actually talked about it and said, hey, you know, we've got all these jobs available here. Why aren't they being taken up by anyone? Because there's no ability to do so. So if you add on top of that the fact that majority of these parents, and 80%, like I said, are mums, aren't receiving any child support at all because of people aren't lodging tax returns and things like that, I don't understand what they want people to do. That was Melita Rose talking about the increasing difficulty of keeping up with the rising cost of living in Australia. Let's go to the bigger picture here because this story is far from unique. Cassandra Goldie is the head of the Australian Council of Social Services. That's the peak body of the community services sector. Cassandra, thanks for joining us. We've just heard from Melita Rose. She's a single mum. She's on a carer's allowance and she's increasingly struggling to make ends meet as costs rise. How many more people in Australia are in the same boat as Melita? We've got about 6 million people who are on very low incomes, whether it's youth allowance, the job seeker, people relying on the parenting payment whilst they're caring for children, and of course, people with a disability. You're either on job seeker or you're on the disability support pension, and then there are people on the age pension. And so your incomes can range a bit, but for a young person, if you're on youth allowance, you've got the least, you're on $37 per day. If you are relying on the age pension, it goes up to, it's only $70 a day. So this is really brutal for people on those very low fixed incomes. Because you work with a lot of community service organisations that work with a lot of people who are uh, you know, either dependent on welfare or do have low incomes themselves. Have you noticed a difference in people's circumstances? I mean, are, are people doing it tougher now than they were, say, six months or a year ago? 
There's no question for people in those very low fixed incomes, they are the ones bearing the full brunt of the cost of living uh, circumstances. So if you're, you typically will be a renter, you'll be in the private rental market because we've got so little social public housing. So most people are in the private rental market. Those rents overwhelmingly have gone up. Often for people on low incomes, you've moved to somewhere like regional Australia to try and keep your costs down. Well, of course, that's changed dramatically in the last two years. Those rents in regional Australia have gone up almost 20% and in some places by 30%. So we've got people who are being evicted. We know that. And we've also got people going without food much more than we have seen in the past. Our food relief organisations are reporting we've got about a million people coming for food relief on any given month. And let's remember, we are a very wealthy country. Um, we spend a lot of money on things like tax cuts, including for people on the highest incomes in the country. And we, we've failed to deal with lifting up the incomes for people on the very lowest incomes in the country. And that's the debate we continue to force us to have. We must look at what we need to do to fix income support. Where is the biggest strain on low income earners coming from? No question. The inadequacy of your income, you can't get away from that. How do you live on $37 a day? So if you're a young person, you're really in trouble if you can't get enough paid work. And of course, the rents are crushing for people and we don't have good rent protections in Australia. You know, you can be evicted typically at about 60 days notice. And of course, if you miss your rent, then you're really in trouble because you can be evicted for that reason. And um, at the moment, there's no protection from you being evicted into homelessness. So that is what is happening. And we're very, very worried about it. Yeah, well, Labor was considering raising the job seeker payment. It's come out and said that it's no longer going to be doing that. So what impact do you reckon that's going to have on the 1.5 million people who live on $46 a day? Mm. And if you're saying that having this low fixed income is one of the biggest strains on those doing it tough, doesn't seem to be getting any better. Mr Albanese said that the Labor Party's position is that they weren't going to be lifting JobSeeker in their first budget. We think it should be done in the first budget of the next government and we will continuing to look for solid commitments. Um, we've got a few weeks to go in this election yet, and this is democracy. And so what I saw as Mr Albanese said that, of course, we've got the other major parties there not promising to do anything, but we've got other candidates who are, they've come through saying we will back a support to job seeker increase. And again, groups like the Business Council, like the Institute for Public Affairs, saying job seeker was too low and needed to be lifted, and the economists. And, and the reason the economists support an increase to job seeker is yes, they do care, but also they actually know that when you lift up the incomes of people with the least in an economy, they spend it. They spend it really quickly. And that is one of the reasons why we've done so well in terms of supporting jobs over this last period is because when we doubled the rate of job seeker in 2020 and we had JobKeeper as well, those were extra dollars into the hands of people with the very least and they kept spending it in the economy and that has really helped. So we need to learn the lesson from what we've done in the last two years, which is you have to focus on lifting up the incomes of people with the 
released. Millions of people are not going away, Jan. They are out there right now listening very carefully to the election debate and we're continuing to say, speak up. It's so important to understand, and I know you do, the level of mental anguish that can come to you when you are worrying every single day, am I going to lose this rental property or do I go without a couple Mm. of meals this week or do I pretend I've eaten so that I can feed my child? Because that's what's going on. All right, Cassandra, if you could sort of magically snap your fingers, come up with three policies that are really going to change the lives of those doing it tough for the better, what would they be? Well, we would lift up income support for anybody who needs it to at least $70 per day. We would do a 50% increase in Commonwealth rent assistance to help everybody that's in the private rental market. And we put the rest into building social housing, low-income housing. And if you support people's incomes and you help to cover the cost of the most essential, which is your housing, then everything else flows from that. And people can get some breathing space that they can actually reskill and get out there and see those job opportunities that are out there. That was Cassandra Goldie from the Australian Council of Social Services with some pretty key policy changes there for our politicians, if anyone's listening. We're still in week two of the election campaign. I'm sure she'll be watching this one closely. That was Jan Fran. Coming up tomorrow, why a former ABC foreign correspondent is hanging up her microphone and choosing to enter the torrid world of federal politics. Listener.